everybody. Welcome to our second podcast. My name's Grace. I'm an elementary ed major and I'm minoring in leadership studies. Hi, I'm Jordan. I'm an elementary ed major getting an ESL endorsement. And hi, I'm Allie. I'm also an elementary education major getting an ESL endorsement. And today our podcast is going to be about race, identity, and microaggressions. The first thing that we're going to be talking about is one of the readings from this week. Um, It was called Teachers, Please Learn Our Names. Um, We'll start with the historical and contextual background from the reading. Allie, do you want to explain that? Yeah. Um, So it started talking about the Great Migration and how they use pedagogy to assimilate all students to white. And in this section, it continues to talk about the big forms of racism from the earlier centuries. It also says that enslaved African-Americans were forced to shed their names and were given a more European name to go along with the European culture. This goes on to talk about the importance of names and how everyone's name has a story behind it. And it ends up relating back to their culture and how mispronouncing one's name can result in insulting their culture or background. Yeah, I also noted from that reading that um, people got their names from their families and their family like passed down the name and it had um, one of the quotes I took note of was it had like the prayers of their grandmothers and their great grandmothers in the name and that when people mispronounce the name or don't care to try and say it right, um, it kind of disrespects the prayers from their grandmother and like the strength that the families have instilled into that name. One thing from the article that they really talked about a lot was critical race theory and how it helps us understand racism in schools because the definition of critical race theory is that it's a social construct of racism, that it's not the product of bias, but it's like embedded in your legal system. And more talking about how racism is more than just like what you say or the act or how you do it. It's like it's been embedded in like our legal system since like the 20, since like for a long time, like for many, many years, we've been going through and like creating more laws to help with racism and everything. This also goes along with what racial microaggressions are. I have quoted in, from the story that this means subtle daily insults as a form of racism support a racial and cultural hierarchy, hierarchy of minor inferiority. And I think this is kind of like helps us understand racism by giving us examples of what we may not consider racism because a lot of the racial microaggressions they talk about is, like we said, mispronouncing someone's name. Like, mispronouncing someone's name is a part of, like, their culture. So this could, like, make them lose their identity if someone mispronounces it and then, like, laughs at it. Like, that's, like, a part of who they are and you just kind of laughed at, like, not even just their name, but you laughed at their culture. Yeah, I think it's important to... I It comes back to just being careful what you're saying because the definition that it said in the reading was that neither party, like the victim or the perpetrator, could know that what they're saying is like offensive until, I don't know, after it happens or like after people in the public become more knowledgeable. And then you can think back and be like, oh, wait, like this has happened to me before. That wasn't a good thing. And you can think of that like years after it happens. So I think we just really have to be cognizant of what we're saying in the present and mindful that like anything can anything can be like a microaggression and we just have to be really careful that we're not hurting other people's feelings. 
going back to like mispronouncing someone's name, I feel like if you're going if you're struggling to say someone's name, you should ask them like how it's pronounced, because that little act will go a long way and make them feel more like welcome and included in the classroom and not just like you're brushing over it. Yeah, I think not willing to learn your student's name is a part of it because that also shows racism because if it's too hard or it's just they don't just don't feel like learning it, this could put the student down and make them feel worried or embarrassed when teachers are actually like pronouncing their their name. So I feel like all students need to feel comfortable and like safe in their classroom. And if it's a little thing like like worrying about your teacher saying your name, like that's not okay. No. Yeah, my mom has my mom's name is Martini and I've never met anybody else with her name and it's French, but she I don't know. I think she kind of just gives up at some points like trying to explain her name to people and it's just like a little sad to watch because I have a very common name and she named me like with an easy name to pronounce that pretty much everybody knows for like a reason so that the same thing doesn't happen to me like as it did her in school and everything. Um, so I, I just feel sorry for her sometimes because like, I don't know, she just has to deal with it and there's nothing, nothing she could do to help people like remember her name in that way. Like also going off of that, like people, like teachers didn't like mispronounce my name, but they always spelled it wrong because like they always thought it was spelled with an A instead of a Y. And I've told teachers multiple times that like, you shouldn't, like, spell my name wrong, and they just, like, didn't even care, and it kind of just, like, annoyed me, because every time I'd write my name, they would spell it as an A, and I, like, literally, like, went up to them, I said it, like, I made it pretty clear, and it's, like, I understand how these students feel, because it was frustrating that I would have to keep repeating myself over and over again to get the teacher to understand what I wanted. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like sometimes the students, like, are more willing to learn their names than the teachers are. Because if the students know your name and then the teacher mispronounces it or even, like, spells it wrong, then all the students are, like, going to laugh. Like, I remember, like, having, like, substitute teachers come in and, like, pronouncing, like, people with, like, not, like, um, normal, like, sounding names. Um, and then every student would just laugh once they pronounced it wrong. And I felt so bad for the kid because you could just see them, like, getting bred and feeling embarrassed. Like, they're waiting for their name to come up and they're just like, oh, my God, this is going to happen again. Yeah, we would, I think, I had similar experiences, except for, like, the students in my class were a little bit more polite about it. Like, the substitute teacher would pronounce their name wrong, but then, like, other students in the class would be like, no, you're wrong. Like, this is how you say it. And I think now, like, looking back, it kind of, it's like a nice surprise to know that, like, the other students in the class would stand up and, I don't know, like, tell the teacher if the student whose name it was, like, didn't feel comfortable standing up for themselves. Um, also in their reading, they talked about how this one girl had a name that was not um, easy to pronounce. Her name was Subini, and every time the teacher would mispronounce her name and they weren't learning, they weren't um, willing to, like, learn it or even, like, ask her about it. So every time they'd, like, say it wrong, it would make her feel shame and dread. So eventually just she just started going by her middle name because she was so embarrassed that everyone kept pronouncing it wrong and she was just sick of like hearing all the students and even the teacher say that. Yeah, I know other I have I would have friends in elementary school too that like had names that the teachers didn't like feel like learning how to pronounce and they would end up going by nicknames and stuff like that. And I really think that well, by the end of the year 
like their parent we would end up meeting their parents and then their parents would call them by their actual name and not their nickname and everybody would go like oh my gosh like who and it it was just kind of sad to I don't know see that they didn't feel comfortable using their real name and like like introducing themselves by their real name and only going by their nickname at school like mispronouncing someone's name can also impact their identity because you can basically like take away their culture if it like has a cultural meaning or like it's part of their family like you can take that away from them and you're basically saying that you only want to see the name the way you want to see it like for example sometimes like people that live in america like they sometimes see like um names as like being more American, which, like, you should look beyond that and see everyone's name the way they want to see it, not the way that you want to see it. Okay, the next reading we studied in class was a song called WTF. The context for this song was because of a Texas state representative named Betty Brown, Um, and she had a House of Representatives testimony where she said, rather than everyone here having to learn Chinese, I understand it's a rather difficult language. Do you think we could behoove and you and your citizens to adopt a name that we could deal with more readily here? Um, and then they talk about like the song and the song was written by Fong Tran. And in the song, he talks about how he was given the name Fong and it's spelled P-H-O-N-G, which has a strong, meaningful, beautiful meaning behind it, and he loved what it represented, but because it wasn't a basic European name, people refer to him as Fong, F-O-N-G, just because it was easier and nobody cared to learn his actual name, and he specifically said in the song that this, his name was ripped from his chest, and he said that American names and tongues couldn't pronounce it, which made him feel like he was stripped away. And I feel like this has a really strong meaning about his identity and how he really lost it because because of his name. And because of sociopolitical context that nobody from his culture was able to say it, nobody from the other culture was able to say it or willing to, um, which was kind of disrespectful. But in reality, it, fit, it affected his identity, making him feel inferior. And this is actually a form of racial microaggression as well, which um, people may not like think is something like big, as we've talked about, but in reality, this, like, really affected his life, and this is not something that, like, you would think, like, oh, a name, like, oh, spelling it with one letter wrong, but it really did, because P-H-O-N-G um, has a very different meaning than F-O-N-G. I feel like you need to be careful with the way you pronounce people's names, but also the way that you spell it, because, like I said earlier, like, misspelling my name, like, It upsets me and, like, it makes me mad because I, like, tell people multiple times. And, like, he didn't even, like, care to tell people. He just kind of, like, went along with it. And I feel like that's partly, like, his fault. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, the question in the first place, like, of um, Betty Brown, I think it's a weird request to ask. And it's really rude to ask someone to change their name so that it's easier for you. Um, especially on, like, a large public scale like that. It's one thing to do it in the classroom in front of 30 students, but it's another thing to do it, like, giving a testimony at the House of Representatives. Um, It's, like, such a large scale and to, I don't know, just a general population, and it's not even just one person. It's a whole group of people that you're asking to change their names for just you. 
and to make other people, I don't know, feel more comfortable, but it's not, it's not a very, I don't know, reasonable request. It, like, reminds me of language in the classroom and how teachers are basically stripping away people's identities by making them speak a different language. Like, they're stripping away his identity by asking him to change his name because they can't pronounce it and they can't understand it. And, like, you shouldn't have to do that. Like, all students should be able to, like, express their true identity and be able to, like, make complete their, like, have their culture with them throughout their entire life and, like, not be made, like, more American or, like, or, like, anything like that. It's just, like, demeaning. Um, if you guys were approached with a situation where you were, like, reading an attendance list for a group of students where you knew, like, no names, do you think it'd be a better idea to, like, attempt it? Or, like, how would you, like, approach the situation? Um, for me, I'd probably, I might ask one of the more experienced teachers, like, what they've done in this type of situation or if they could give me any tips but I've also I would also try and maybe like look them up on like a pronouncing website first and then like write down those pronunciations which obviously it's online and like the student may pronounce it differently um but like I'd give it my best shot before I even go to class and then once I get to class and if it's still wrong after I like look it up and everything then I'd really try and like like, have them, like, break it down for me so that I could get it right, like, every time after that. I would also do the same thing and, like, ask a more experienced teacher what they did in the situation. And I would also try to attempt the student's name and, like, apologize if I said it wrong. Like, make let them know that I'm, like, understanding and I'm, like, I want to learn their name. And then I would ask them how to pronounce their name so that for the future I don't have to make that mistake anymore and then I know how to, like, pronounce it correctly. Yeah, I think in high school, this is when it started happening more. Like, my teachers would really stress, like, the importance of our names and be like, like, please, please, please tell me if I'm doing it wrong. Like, I don't want to go the whole year and, like, talk to your parents and then pronounce your name wrong to you the whole year and then your parents, too. Like, they really started stressing it a lot in high school. And um, I think as a teacher, like, I want to let – I'll be teaching younger students, but – I still want to tell them, like, your names are important and, like, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't have to let me, like, just keep going the whole school year, like, not knowing your actual name. Yeah, those are both good points. I remember, like, one year, um, instead of, like, the teacher taking attendance, she would just, like, go around the room and, like, have each person say their name and try to, like, find it from, like, pronunciation. And I think that might be a good, like, thing to do, it's just so, like... If you don't want to attempt it or if, like, there's some names that you could, like, completely butcher, that might be a good, like, alternative. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good idea, too, because then I feel like a lot of first days of school, like, the teacher stands up in the front of the classroom and they go, oh, Allie, and then, like, you'll raise your hand. And then, but instead of doing that, like, if you went around to the individual desks, like, it'll give the student a chance to say their name. And it'll also, like, give you as a teacher a chance to, like, talk to them one-on-one first before, like, you meet the whole entire class. Yeah, I feel like going around and having everybody say their name is more beneficial. And then, like, like also, like, ask them, like, if they have any nicknames or what their, like, preferred name is, mm-hmm. just so you don't call them by a name they're not comfortable with, because this can also make them feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. Next, we are going to talk about, like, language in the classroom and 
how that relates to the video Asian Americans try to speak their native language video. This video was about students that are from Asia and they spoke Korean at home at a young age. Like That was their first language and when they came to America, they only spoke English in the classroom and they lost Korean so they didn't really remember any of it. And this is like a big problem that's occurring in classrooms because teachers aren't understanding that students need to still have a part of their like first language. They only want them to speak English in the classroom. Yeah, I think that this kind of relates to like other podcasts and videos that we've read that like this is the cause of like language like fading away and like loss of language because if you're forcing like one specific language like primarily English is common, then like it makes like the littler language like like fade away and like that's someone's like culture and that's like a part of them. So it's kind of a, like a loss of community too. Yeah, I think one of the um, students in the video mentioned that like at a younger age, not that the age they were at now, but um, they had asked their parents like not to speak their native language at home so that they could have more practice in English so that they could, I don't know, fit in better at school. And I I just thought that was, I've, I'd never heard of someone asking their parents to like, I th- I've just felt like it was a separation between home and school where, you know, school you might speak English and then you can speak your native language at home or do both at home. But, like, I'd never thought, like, how a student might feel it would be embarrassing for, I don't know, them to speak a native language at home. Yeah, I feel like that, like what you said, embarrassing, that's, a, like, a key point because, like, if he wants to speak, like, English only at home, that shows, like, the teachers are, like, not supporting him. And even with the students, like, he's not, like, be able to fit in and they're not accommodating, like, his language in the classroom. So feeling embarrassed, like, to speak your own language is, like, not okay. And, like, making them, like, not speak their native language at home, like, that's a different story. Like, you're taking away, like, their identity and their families, like, values and cultures and the way that they want to live their life. Because they should be able to speak whatever language they want at home. And, like, at school, like... I feel like most schools should implement, like, ESL teachers and, like, bilingual education and, like, try to incorporate both their native language and English in the classroom because that way they can communicate with everyone and not just, like, because their parents, like, don't know English so they're not going to be able to communicate with them at home if they lose their native language. Yeah, I know another student in the video said that, like, when his parents would talk to his grandmother, he'd feel like, really left out because they had no clue what the their family was saying. So I feel like, to me, that'd be really uncomfortable uncomfortable to, like, walk into a family gathering and just, like, not be able to communicate with my other relatives. Um, and I think it's not that, like, the, like, anybody in particular didn't want the students to speak their native language at home. I think it's more that the student felt pressured to, like, catch up with the other kids in their class um, to, like, be at the same level as, like, English as them. Yeah, I feel like catching up is something that he should be learning in school and not be trying to, like, learn at home because school, you're there to learn. You're there to, like, the teachers are there to help you. Yeah. Another article that we read was Spanglish isn't a wrong form of English, it's how great stories are told. 
This article was about how non-English speaking students and like their family members like only understood certain parts of English. Like there were certain words that they had to say in Spanish because they didn't know how to say it in English because it was English isn't their first language. And I think it's just like hard because some people don't like like you need someone to help translate for you, but like it just can be hard for you. Yeah, I think she kind of pointed out in uh, the article that um, it's like a mix between Spanish and English. And obviously with the name Spanglish, like you could tell that it's a mix between that. But I also think for people in America, like this was popular, like where I went to school, um, lots of people like use this type of like, blend of the two languages, and I think it really, like, spoke to their culture, because, like, it is a blend of, like, um, where you're from, and then also, like, like, English, like, American, like, both, like, like, in my case, it was, like, Mexican-Americans, and then, like, English-speaking Americans, and, like, it blends the two cultures, where, like, if they went back to, like, rural Mexico or like towns in Mexico it would not be the same culture like it was still a little different and it was Americanized so I think in this case like she's just explaining um it's a good blend to fit like how they live their lives now yeah I think Spanglish is also like a good adjustment for like if you have like a Spanish native speaker and you want them to like speak English you can't like just transition them from Spanish to English I think that Spanglish is like a good way of incorporating English into their, like, native language so they could, like, maybe, like, learn better and not just, like, get thrown into English when they know nothing. Yeah, I agree. And this could also be, like, good for, like, maybe, like, their parents so their parents can help you at home, like, with their homework or with their readings or, like, understand what they're doing. Like, maybe if they throw a little Spanish with the English, like, if the their parents only understand Spanish... This could, like, help them, like, just understand if they had, like, a little bit of Spanish in there, too. I feel like, like, for some assignments, they should have, like, the Spanish translation with the English translation. Because, like, there are going to be students that, like, still need to reference words in Spanish, like, to help them understand it in English. And I just think making them have everything in English and just try to, like, read and speak and, like, write, like, right away in a language they're not familiar with can make them really confused and make them struggle in the classroom a lot more. Yeah, I could see how, like, speaking Spanglish at home could, like, develop into your writing. Like, if you had a student that, like, wrote in two languages at the same time, it would be a little tricky as a teacher to, like, know how to help them. Like, do you, like, if, like, a whole paragraph is written, like, half and half, like, I think it'd be a little more interesting to that I, I really haven't heard of that happening, but a few of my teachers in high school would tell us, like, if, if this is how you speak with your friends, like, using, like, slang and stuff like that, you can write that way for our, like, informal assignments. Like, we could use words, like, um, I don't I don't really have any examples right now, but um, you could use words that you would use in front of your friends, but then if it's a formal assignment, like, like, use the words that we teach you in school, like bigger words and um, 
I don't know, more professional and formal formatting. Yeah. I think going off of, like, having, like, an, an English version and a Spanish version and, like, writing, I think that, like, it could be easier for some students to, like, speak the language. So I feel like they're, when they, like, sometimes when they get taken out of the classroom to, like, learn English from Spanish, they're more, more focused on, like, like, like speaking it. And writing is, like, a completely different thing. Like, that comes on kind of later in. Do you think in the future um, that you are going to incorporate Spanglish into your own classroom? Um, I think if, like, the population in my classroom called for it, I would. Um, I definitely think, hopefully, I'll have good mentors and other, like, experienced teachers around me and in my school to, like, kind of see what they do. And obviously, if what they do doesn't work for what I need in my classroom, I'll tweak it. But I think you kind of have to look at the atmosphere and the community in the school and um, take that into consideration. Obviously, Spanglish, like, if you're in a heavily populated area that speaks Spanglish, then, yeah, I would definitely com consider that. Um, and I think it'd be if the community and population in my school um, did speak Spanglish, I think it'd be tough for me to only use English. Like, it'd be hard to, like, swerve the students into only using English. So, yeah, in that case, I would, I would probably use Spanglish. I feel like in my classroom, I, like, might use Spanglish, but, like, I would also incorporate Spanish and English in the classroom. Maybe not in the form of Spanglish, but maybe in a different context and stuff. And, like, I said that I'm getting the ESL endorsement which is like English as a second language. And these students that are going to be speaking Spanglish will most likely be students that don't know English as their first language. And I want to like be able to help them understand English but not be so overwhelmed with it right away, like not have it jump right at them and be like, oh my God, I have to speak English. Like, because they're going to get confused. They're going to get frustrated. And I just feel like you need to like slowly ease English into the classroom while still incorporating Spanish so that they don't, like, forget their native language or, like, lose it. Okay, so we all looked up the meaning of our name, and I looked up my name, and it means to flow down, like, coming from the Jordan River, even though mine is spelled with a Y instead of an A. And my name also has no relation to like my culture or like my family because it was just a name that my mom really liked so she wanted to use it for a girl. Yeah. Um I looked at my name too and it's it said it was from a Latin origin. Um I remember having to do a project for this in elementary school where we had to ask our parents where our name comes from and like why they chose it for us and I remember them saying that um they wanted kind of a like biblical name and I definitely think like I've, I've heard people say like grace a lot in church and stuff like that so I think they like that um like that origin aspect of it um and then also just like a little meaning like to my parents like um one of their favorite bands has a song named grace so that was another reason that they chose this name um and then also it has like meanings of charm and goodness um, my, I go by Allie, but my actual name is Allison, so I looked up Allison, and it is, has a Scottish origin, um, that means noble, 
And I am Scottish, but I think that my parents, like, didn't really incorporate that. I think that they just, uh, my mom and my dad just went through a list of names, and that was kind of the only name they agreed on. So that's where that came from. Do you guys think that uh, your name impacts your identity? Like, if someone were to get it wrong or, um, like, mispronounce it or something like that, that you would get, I don't know, like, upset and, like, think it, like, impacts your identity in that way, like, destructs it? My name, like, doesn't really have anything to do with, like, my identity or, like, my culture. It was kind of just a name that my mom really liked, and she wanted to give it to a girl, and she was like, I would have saved it for a girl if I was having a boy. But I definitely understand, like, if students, like, like, if a teacher gets, like, your name wrong, like, over and over and over again, I would be, like, upset. I'd be angry. I'd be annoyed because I'm, like, my name, like, if it meant something to me, it would be personal and, like, it would, like, kind of be a part of who I am. And the fact that they're getting it wrong just means that they don't, like, care about me as much and they don't care about my culture and that, like, they're not putting their best foot forward for me. They're just looking past my name. I agree. I think that my name doesn't really represent anything, like, very important. But, again, I don't think I'd be, like, upset if they got it wrong. I Again, it's just being, like, annoyed. Like, not the teacher's, like, not trying. And, again, like, like you don't know if someone's name, like, means something very important to them or it's, like, a pet, maybe a pest relative or your name has been, like, down in generations. Like, you just don't know. Yeah, I think, like, for other people, like, I have my, some of my cousins, like, um, their, like, their father has the same name and then their grandfather has the same name. And I think, like, if it were that situation and people just didn't want to call me that name, like, that might be, like, uh, like, I could feel like my family would be a little disappointed. Um, but for me, I think it, I would just be more, like, personally annoyed. I don't know if it'd be my, like, like identity and background being, um, like, questioned at that point. I just feel like I, as an individual, wouldn't be as... I don't know. I wouldn't feel as welcomed if people, like, would mispronounce my name or, um, I'd probably feel, like, kind of similar to, like, if people, like, would forget my name, like, like, over and over and over again. But, yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed our podcast for the week on race, identity, and microaggressions. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 